It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Faster my crazy day, my pack commute, all those unread emails in my inbox. But I'm getting stronger, faster, and pushing myself further every day. I don't care if I'm not like everyone else. This punching bag is the best way to end my day. Fearless is knowing yoga isn't your style. That's the power of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Federal Employee Program. Learn more about our healthy benefits at fepblue.org slash get more. You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. At the end of the day, it, it, we all know in this business is about what you do on Sunday. Um, it doesn't matter what you did the week before or what you're going to do the week after. It's all about what happens on that Sunday. So if, if Houston comes in here and we, you know, drop the ball and we don't play well, you know, then it's it's probably going to be the end of the world to everybody. You know, everybody's going to think, well, but what happened to the defensive line? You know, what happened to the... So, I mean, at the end of the day, what we have to do is we got to make sure that every team uh, that we play week in and week out, this week being the Houston Texans, that we got to go out there and do what we have to do on that day in order to be successful. Locked on Vikings on the Locked on Podcast Network. Sam and Sage with you on a Friday. Follow on Twitter at Sam Ekstrom or at Sage Rosenfels 18. Subscribe on iTunes or Audio Boom. Good morning, Sage. Two days before the Vikings and Texans, two of your former teams battling in a big one. Yeah, it should be a really good game. Uh, back-to-back weeks for me watching two of my former teams play. And uh, I spent the I, – I didn't spend the most time of my career in Houston, but I played the most uh, in my time in Houston. I had 10 starts and, and actually went 6-4 and four as a starter. So I uh, played well enough. It got me up to Minnesota with a trade and – but never, never actually ended up playing in Minnesota. So, uh, yeah, should this, but this should be a very good football uh, game. This, this Houston team is very good, despite that one uh, really bad loss up at New England. They played really good football other than that one game. I talked to Robert Lane yesterday of Locked On Texans. He was telling me that Houston fans have this constant sense of kind of dread or uh, self-doubt because they haven't had a lot of franchise success he said that, you know, it's tough for them to really buy in to a team. Is that the sense you got during your time in Houston? Uh, well, they're, they're great fans. Uh, you know, and I first went down there. I didn't know. I went there from Miami. I was a free agent. Went over to Houston. Did not know much about that football team, really, other than David Carr was their quarterback and Andre Johnson was their sort of young star wide receiver. I didn't really know many of the players on the team. Didn't know much about the fan base. Uh, but uh, since then, and as time has passed, the, you know, their fans have become some of the most passionate in the NFL. Uh, they sell out every game, um, and, uh, and, and, and you're right. They haven't had a ton of success. They haven't been in Super Bowls or even, uh, you know, championship games, but uh, they ha- I think that, that, that organization has improved, and, and they're regularly now in the hunt for the playoffs and the hunt to win that, uh, that AFC South. They obviously made it to the playoffs a few times. So uh, it's a good franchise. And Bob McNair is a very good owner, uh, sort of like the Wilfs. He will do whatever it takes to be successful. He doesn't mind spending money. He doesn't mind uh, you know, uh, building good facilities for his players and coaches. 
uh, he'll do whatever it takes to, to be successful. And, and I enjoyed my time down there. And I think Texans fans are, are really good fans. Uh, and I, you know, I'm sort of hoping that someday they get a chance to, you know, sort of have that Super Bowl because they've never really had one down there. Everyone talks about the, uh, the baby blue days or whatever of, of the, well, it was, uh, the late 70s and 80s, early 80s. Um, that, that a boy blue, or what, I can't remember what they call it down there, but uh, <laughs> uh, back in the old Houston Oilers days, they, they talk about those times uh, you know, all the time. Well, they're definitely front runners, I think, to win the AFC South at this point with Indianapolis off to a bad start, Jacksonville off to a bad start, Tennessee still fledgling, and Houston up there at 3-1. and one. They made a big change, though. After that 27 nothing loss against New England, Bill O'Brien, the head coach, the former Penn State head coach, um, you know, appeared on Hard Knocks. He, he gained a lot of popularity, I think, from that show, and he's kind of taken the reins as the offensive mind down there in Houston, calling the plays. And from what I talked to with Robert Land about yesterday on the crossover show, it sounds like they were a lot more dynamic in their play calling with O'Brien at the helm. Does this create, though, a strange dynamic between coach and coordinator when the head coach essentially, you know, neuters the coordinator of his responsibilities? You know, I don't think so. Um, you know, my guess is Bill O'Brien originally was calling plays down there. I mean, you know, I, I was almost the exact same situation uh, when I was in Houston. Gary Kubiak was the head coach slash sort of offensive coordinator, and he always called plays. Uh, when Kyle Shanahan, uh, my third year there, became the coordinator, they sort of off and on switched off who was calling plays game by game. But I tell you, as a quarterback, I really had no idea um, – who was actually calling the play, you know, into the quarterback. Uh, it didn't really matter to me who actually was picking the plays out. Um, so uh, I think that uh, – I think it helps. If, I, I always thought it was the best for the play caller to actually be talking to the quarterback because a lot of times the play caller is actually up in the box, relays the play down to some other coach on the sideline who then calls it into the quarterback. And I think that slows the process down and you waste, you know, three or four seconds – when you do that, and, and uh, I always like it when the actual play caller uh, is on the sideline and, and makes those decisions. And, you know, it's the head coach. He's got nobody to blame but himself. And so I, I actually like it when if it's an offensive head coach for him to go ahead and call the game. And certainly, in fairness, Mike Zimmer is the same way on defense. He is far more in control of the defense than George Edwards is the defensive coordinator. Edwards is more about the coaching and the fundamentals and teaching technique, but Zimmer is the mastermind, the puppeteer, pulling the strings, making the calls. So a lot of that is on his plate, too. So I guess it, if it can work on defense, it can work on offense. Yeah, I think so. And uh, as I said, I think as the, as the head coach, um, whenever you have you know, maybe issues with the, if you don't like the way the offense is going or the defense, really, uh, you've got every right to, it's your team. And, you know, at the end of the day, you're the one that's going to get fired before everybody else. And, and uh, so, you know, I think you've got the, you know, every right to, to call, you know, call the plays. And, uh, and so as I said before, you know, sort of the buck stops there at the coach. So at the head coach. And so, if, you know, if any fans have issues with it, they knew know exactly who to, to to blame. And I think the only concern possibly is, you know, coaches, the head coach doesn't get to sort of, uh, have the flow of the game. You know, he's worrying about play calls and maybe not totally paying attention to clock, timeouts, uh, all those other things that, uh, you know, a head coach has to pay attention to. So it is a lot on one coach's plate. 
Now, another play call talker from the Vikings side yesterday. Very interesting stuff from Norv Turner, who illuminated the code names that they've used with Sam Bradford to help him simplify and learn this offense. For instance, if the play is actually 572 HRO F9 swing, they're calling it something like Warrior or Dodge, as Turner put it. So it helps Bradford because he doesn't have to recite the terminology every time in the huddle. It puts a little bit of onus on the players to learn those code names and what they translate to. But it's something that Turner learned when he was in San Diego back with Rob Chudzinski. And then Chudzinski sort of advanced the codename system in Carolina, brought it to Turner in Cleveland, and now to Minnesota. So through San Diego, Carolina, and Cleveland now here, they're using this codename system. Is that something you ever utilized? Well, yeah. So this has been a topic of conversation, you know, for me for the last really, you know, 15 or 16 years. My first year in the, in the NFL was the West Coast offense. And the West Coast, you generally do use one to two words to describe a concept, um, you know, an overall concept of the play. Hank means all hook routes uh, in the West Coast offense. Then I got to the North Turner system, and it was this number system. Uh, and there was, you know, different challenges to learning this sort of number system. But you got to individually tell each receiver exactly what to do. You know, every route, every route had a number attached to it, and you know, a 78 combination was a was a post on the outside with a corner route on the inside, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then, you know, I went back to West Coast and uh, around different offenses. But as time uh, went on, as teams do more and more no huddle, uh, you know, two miniature, all these types of things, you can't be yelling out numbers all the time to to the defense. And so everyone started to code everything. And even West Coast teams. They're coding things to make things simpler, and and uh, I know one time I was in uh, when I was in Miami, and Jason Garrett was my quarterbacks coach. He said, "I don't care if we call this play Old Brown Shoe, as long as everybody knows what <laughs> Old Brown Shoe means." You know, so um, I, I think that their offensive or their tight ends coach Pat Shermer, who comes from the West Coast tree, I talked to him after that Green Bay game, and he talked about uh, that Bradford was struggling a little bit with that that number system, and that they were sort of meeting of the minds and both sides compromising and trying to come up with certain words that uh, to help out Bradford. Because if the, if the quarterback is thinking too much, uh, he's going to be in trouble. So the less Sam Bradford has to think about all these plays, which takes, you know, the responsibility of everybody else to start memorizing these concepts when one word means, you know, 10 things to you, you there's, there's some work to be done by everybody. So it's obviously worked out pretty well for the Vikings so far. Yeah, Bradford was telling us that it was a foreign language at first for him. And at the time, he didn't let on. But it sounds like there were certainly some difficulties that they've now alleviated as he's now got three games under his belt. But you wouldn't know it by watching him on the field because he certainly looked comfortable. He's looked confident in the pocket. And the most important thing, no turnovers. And all the coaches this week have been talking about is how rare this is to go four games without a turnover. And they're all proverbially knocking on wood did you ever have a stretch like that four games no turnovers i'm not sure you know i'm sure somewhere along the line we, we may i may have or we may have but you know i doubt it and you know it is interesting we talk about the vikings sort of strategy to win football games we all know they've got a really good defense they're one of the best special teams uh teams in in the nfl their offense was supposed to have this really good running game which it obviously does not um, but there, we always talk about, you know, don't turn the ball over, let your defense win the games. And they are really 
doing exactly what that game plan is. Really good defense, good special teams, not turning the ball over on offense, getting first downs, though, uh, staying on the field, uh, you know, threatening the defense enough uh, to keep them honest and, and taking advantage of the turnovers that the defense is getting. So uh, they, they are winning sort of how we thought they would win. Uh, but it, sometimes things don't, don't always go to plan. And generally, you, you, there is a turnover to in almost every football game, but the Vikings have done an unbelievable job of, of hanging on to the rock. Potentially another blow to their offense. Stefan Diggs has been held out of practice two consecutive days with a groin issue. He had it nagging last week, and apparently it has not gotten better. If Diggs does not play, we could see a lot of Jarius Wright. Stefan Diggs has played a substantial amount in the slot. Obviously, with him out, that would probably reprise Jarius Wright's role in that slot. And obviously, he's a trustworthy guy, but Diggs is so explosive. And if he can't play, it will still set the offense back. Well, he's, you know, right now, basically the best player for this Vikings offense. He's the most explosive player. Um, He does things down the field, which threaten the defense. And he also is so good in that slot with the shallow crossing routes and those types of things. Uh, Jarius Wright is not going to be as effective down the field, but he is very good as a slot guy. He runs really good routes. He doesn't have that after after the catch type stuff that uh, that Diggs has, but as far as getting open and getting first downs, he does have that ability, and he's very dependable. He'll do exactly what he's what he's told and what he's taught, and and uh, and all those types of things. So uh, you know, it's it's good to have Jarius Wright. I don't think he ha- he has played or even dressed maybe the last couple of games. Um, and he's a, you know, he's a good wide, still young, but a good wide receiver for this Vikings offense. And it's, it's good to have somebody like that rather than like an undrafted rookie on the sidelines. Yeah. After being a starter and getting a contract extension, a tough fall from grace for Jarius Wright, who really did nothing wrong to deserve the demotion, except the, the elevation of Adam Thielen and the elevation of Stefan Diggs has put him in a tough spot. Hey, a big reminder for the fans out there, seat geek is the smartest, easiest way to find tickets for the games you want to see up close and in person this season. There's nothing like being in the stadium for the biggest plays of the year, and with SeatGeek, it's never been easier to get the seats you want for a great value. SeatGeek has the best deals on every ticket in the house, wherever you want to sit, whether it's the 50-yard line, club seats, or the upper level. I have the SeatGeek app on my phone. It's by far the easiest way I've found to shop for tickets. I was checking out Vikings-Texans tickets to see where they're at. You can get tickets for less than $100. I can be anywhere, and with just a few taps, I can instantly find seats for this weekend for the Vikings-Texans game or any game this season. The the Wolves are coming up. The Wild are coming up starting next week, in fact. With SeatGeek, you always get the best deal on every ticket because SeatGeek price compares for you by searching multiple ticket sites. Prices can vary depending on where you shop, but SeatGeek will always find you the lowest available price. And SeatGeek wants to help you get the most bang for your buck. That's why every ticket on SeatGeek is given a grade based on value. You'll immediately see any underpriced tickets and be able to find the best deals that fit your budget. Plus, every ticket you buy on SeatGeek is backed by their 100% guarantee. Best of all, my listeners get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. To get this $20 rebate, Download the SeatGeek app. Just a few clicks. Go to the settings tab and click add a promo code. Enter promo code LOVikings and SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. Download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code LOVikings 
today. Is democracy in danger or decline? Condoleezza Rice, William Galston, and Carlos Gutierrez and others take on this question in the fall edition of The Catalyst, a journal of ideas from the Bush Institute. Surveys show Americans place less trust in institutions like the media and business. Others contend America has faced far more challenging periods and emerged strong. Leading policymakers, Bush Institute experts, and respected journalists take on this debate. Read about it at bushcenter.org catalyst i've got a quick activity for us sage it's called higher or lower i I bet you're just baffled as to what it could be uh go ahead i have no idea yeah it's a creative game in which i give you the vikings ranking in a certain category i figure it's the quarter pole of the season what we can take inventory of where they're at you tell me if it's higher or lower than you would have expected heading into the year and we'll see how the vikings have lived up to some of the expectations. So we'll start with the defensive side of the ball. Fewest pass yards allowed per game. They are 10th. They've allowed the 10th fewest pass yards per game. Uh, higher, lower, or right in line with where you thought? Probably in line of what I thought, but I actually uh, thought, uh, you know, watching these first four games that their ranking would be higher. And my guess is the reason it's actually not higher is because since they've been winning these games, that the other teams have had to throw a lot at the end of the games. A lot of times you get uh, sort of easy yards as the as the Vikings aren't going to play as tight a defense and allow completions underneath and give up some yardage, you know, when you're up by a touchdown or two at the end of uh, end of a football game. And so uh, I guess that seems about right in line, but I actually just expected that uh, just based off of the first four games of the season, I thought that ranking would be higher. Here's an area of weakness they've had in the past, rushing yards allowed per game. The Vikings are eighth in the top quarter of the league, higher or lower than you expected. That's higher than I thought it would be. Uh, you know, they've got a really good defense, but I thought they were better against the pass than versus the run. And with all their upfield rushers, uh, you know, the rush defense hasn't been their the strength of their defense in the past. And, and uh, obviously they've improved in that department from last year. Not really sure you could say lower to this one. Take give first in the league plus 10. Yeah, I mean, I didn't think it would be that high. That's uh, that's obviously probably the number one reason why the why the Vikings are 4-0. I don't remember what the exact stats are. Maybe it's something that you could look up. I remember uh, it was it was Gary Kubiak or maybe it was even Dave Wasser when I was in Miami went over the percentages of your chance to win the game based off of turnover ratio. But obviously if it's if it's even it's 50-50, but if you're just plus 1 you usually win about 65% of your games. If you're plus two, you win like 83% of your games. So it's amazing just what a couple turnovers can do. Yeah, and the Vikings are averaging, I think, better than plus two in a game. So that's that's obviously playing into their favor. Now a couple negative ones. Offensive passing yards per game, 24th uh, between Sam Bradford and Sean Hill through four games. Any reason for concern? Uh, it's not a really big concern. Um I'm almost surprised it's not lower, to be honest with you. I, I think that's probably about where I thought it would be, uh, you know, probably somewhere in the in the low 20s uh, going into the season um, with the way just the Vikings play and their sort of lack of threats on offense other than Stephon Diggs uh, and their uh, wanting to rush the football uh, with Adrian Peterson. So going into the season, I probably figured they'd be in the low 20s in, uh, in, in pass offense. Uh, and with Sam Bradford being added so late in the game, uh, I actually think that's not too bad. Rushing, though, 
last in the league. I don't think anybody would have expected that going into the year with Adrian Peterson. Yeah, you would think that if the if you look at the Vikings being four and uh, if you said in July, hey, the Vikings would be four and you know, where will they be in the league in rushing? I would think most fans would say probably in the top ten, uh, and with Adrian Peterson probably in the top two or three in the NFL in rushing yards. But obviously he's out, and and that's hurt this team. But he wasn't doing much when he was in there either. And actually, I think the run game has improved since he's been injured. So uh, I think that will improve as the season goes on, and. Uh, either their rushing offense or their passing offense has to improve if this team wants to go deep in the playoffs. And we'll end with an encouraging one. Fewest sacks allowed. The Vikings are tied for third in the league with only six sacks allowed. I think we talked about this before the season, too, how uh, would we rather have 50-plus sacks or less than 30 sacks allowed? And you said, well, let's just get both. And the Vikings are actually in position to maybe do so. Obviously, that's a great stat for the mm-hmm. Vikings that goes into that formula. Of, I, I, I wasn't expecting it to be this low, uh, but this definitely goes into that formula of good defense, get get turnovers, not turn the ball over, and not give up sacks. When you give up a lot of sacks, that either means you're in third long situations, which is bad, which usually turnovers happen because of that, or, or it puts you um, in third long situations. And so, uh, you know, that, that's probably one of the reasons their offense isn't turning up the ball over much either, uh, is their ability to, to, uh, not, uh, to, to protect a quarterback. It's Locked On Vikings, Locked On Podcast Network. Subscribe on iTunes. He's Sage. I'm Sam, at Sam Ekstrom, at Sage Rosenfels 18. Make sure to check out Locked On NFL, Locked On Fantasy, Locked On Texans this week with Robert Land. And on the basketball side, Locked On Timberwolves with Alan Horton. All right, we'll cruise through the NFC North, get our predictions in. Packers, Giants, that's at Lambeau Field. Green Bay coming off a bye. Giants trying to bounce back. Who you got? Uh, I got the uh, the Packers in this one. Uh, Giants with two road games in a row coming on a, and on a short week and playing you know, the Packers coming off a bye. Uh, the, you know, Packers will be very fresh. And, uh, yeah, I think the Packers will win this one by uh, at least 10 points. I would wholeheartedly agree. Eagles at Lions. Carson Wentz also off a bye. Can the Eagles stay undefeated? Uh, Andy Reid, I know he doesn't coach for the Eagles anymore, but his record coming off a bye is, was, is unbelievable, if I recall. And uh, so, you know, Doug Peterson, their new head coach, Obviously, he worked for Andy Reid for a long time, and uh, I don't think much of the Lions either. So, uh, again, I like the Eagles by probably 10 to 14 points in this game as well. Yeah, you got it. You, you think that Carson Wentz is going to come back to earth at some point, but I don't think it's going to be against Detroit. And that Eagles defense is actually one of the best in the league right now. So Philadelphia probably wins that one. I don't know if they'll win by double digits, maybe by six, seven, eight points. I think it'll be a one-touchdown victory for Philadelphia. I think Carson Wentz is as is as good as Andrew Luck was uh, when Andrew Luck was a rookie. Uh, I think the difference is that uh, I think Carson Wentz has a better offensive line, and I feel like his offensive coordinator and that offensive coaching staff, you know, all three of their main quarterbacks coaches, head coach, coordinator, quarterbacks coach, all played the position of quarterback. Uh, so I think that helps, but I think they're doing a great job protecting him. 
uh, and putting him in a good situation to be successful. Yeah, it seems like Wentz has a lot more help, a lot more supporting cast around him, whereas Luck came in there. That was the worst team in the NFL the year prior. The cupboard was totally bare, and he just willed them to 10-11 wins in a playoff berth, whereas I feel like the Eagles were more primed to be at least a 500 team with Bradford, and it seems like Wentz has even propelled them further than that. Bears at Colts. Colts, uh, five-point favorites at home. Neither team all that impressive. A couple one-and-three outfits. Who you got? Uh, I know one thing. I will not be watching this game. Uh, it's probably a game I have. It's one of the worst games probably of the week. Um, and uh, so I think I like the Bears in this game. As long as Jay Cutler doesn't play, uh, I think if Brian Hoyer plays, the Bears win. We are three for three in agreement. I also like the Bears. I don't think the Colts play really any defense whatsoever. They gave up 30 against Jacksonville. They gave up 39 earlier in the year against the Lions. They give up 34 against Denver. There's just nobody on the defensive side of the ball that instills any confidence in me. So uh, I'll go with Chicago. Hopefully Hoyer and, and Jeffrey can hook up a few times. And finally, the Vikings and the Texans Sunday at noon. I, we've been pretty close on a number of our predictions, or at least you have. I've been picking against the Vikings a few too many times. What are you thinking? Well, I think I've picked against the Vikings just once. Uh, and I feel like was that week of uh, the Carolina game. I think the Carolina uh, game. I, I think it was the, Packer, it was the Packers, Packers game. game. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was the Packers game. Um so I, I did a Houston radio show yesterday with Dante Hall and a couple other guys. And, of course, you know, they try to put me in the hot spot of choosing one team over the other. And what I said in that game, I said, I, the home team is going to win this game, and I think it's going to be by a Blair Walsh 54-yard field goal as time expires. I think that's going to be the game winner in this game. It should be a good one. Bold prediction. Uh, give, me, give me a couple point totals just so I have an idea. Are you thinking oh. defensive game, offensive game? I think it's going to be another defensive game. Um, I think the Vikings uh, also will get a sack fumble touchdown in this game on Rock Osweiler. Um, I think it's going to be 23 to 22 with a, with a last second field goal. 23-22. Wow. So it's going to be a kick from behind. They're going to be behind when he kicks it, and then it's going to put them in front. Wow. Um, exactly right. Yeah. It's going to give him the confidence he needs to – not miss a field goal the rest of the year. Fairy tale ending for sure. <laughs> I, I think the Vikings win it a little more convincingly. I think it's going to be 23 to 12 with a missed extra point. Hence the 23. I, I'm less confident in Blair Walsh. <laughs> Man, negativity. Yeah, got to got to push that positive energy. Uh, hey, I, I've got the team winning by eleven. I'm, if they if you said okay, Blair Walsh misses an extra point, you win by eleven. I, I'm guessing Mike Zimmer would accept that result. Uh, if Blair does, does Blair Walsh keep his job after this week if he misses an extra point and or a field goal? Oh man, you know we've asked Mike Zimmer every week, and every week he gets progressively more disconsolate and and sad when we ask him he's just aggravated you can tell it it wears on him and when we see Blair Walsh out there on Monday afternoon all by himself just kicking field goals like the loneliest man in the world which is probably how he feels right now I think if he misses a kick I think they bring in competition do you think it's Robbie Gold from the the old Chicago Bears kicker I do, because I don't know who else they would bring in. Unless there's a name below the radar that Prefer has scouted or that they really like. Gold definitely has the most equity. 
you probably wouldn't have a whole lot of nerve issues, which I think can happen to to new or, or younger kickers. It would probably be gold. I don't know who else is available. Yeah, I think he's the best kicker available. And, you know, he was released not because of performance, but because of a salary cap reasons. He had a high salary. And he has really an unbelievable, uh, you know, lifetime kicking percentage, you know, and playing in Chicago, uh, which is one of the toughest places to kick in the NFL. So I think he would be the guy. But uh, hopefully uh, Blair Walsh makes his kicks this week and, and keeps his job for the rest of the year. I think it's worth reiterating, too. And, and I, I said this the first week of our podcast when there were probably about four people listening. So I'll say it again now for, the <laughs> thankfully, a larger audience. Kickers in the past who've had franchise-altering misses like Blair Walsh had last postseason typically struggle the following year. You go back to the uh, the Norwood kick in the Super Bowl, Gary Anderson back in 98, Mike Vanderjack missing a big kick for the Colts, Justin Tucker for the Ravens. All these kickers mentioned had a very tough time rejuvenating their careers. Yeah, well, hopefully um... – Blair Walsh is more like Justin Tucker, and despite his struggles, come back, comes back, and hopefully he's still the long-term option. You're more confident in him than I am at this moment. Sage, that's it. That's the week. Vikings-Texans on Sunday. See you there. Sounds good to me. All right. Sage Rosenfels at Sage Rosenfels 18. I'm Sam Ekstrom at Sam Ekstrom on Twitter. Thanks for listening. Subscribe on iTunes and we'll have the full breakdown of the game on Monday. Is democracy in danger or decline? Condoleezza Rice, William Galston, and Carlos Gutierrez and others take on this question in the fall edition of The Catalyst, a journal of ideas from the Bush Institute. Surveys show Americans place less trust in institutions like the media and business. Others contend America has faced far more challenging periods and emerged strong. Leading policymakers, Bush Institute experts, and respected journalists take on this debate. Read about it at bushcenter.org catalyst. Hey, sports fans. My name is Ben Beacon. I'm the host of Locked On Wolves, the Minnesota Timberwolves podcast on the Locked On NBA Network. The Wolves might be in the middle of what's turned out to be a pretty miserable season, but there's still plenty to talk about. From the aftermath of the trade deadline to looking ahead at what moves Gerson Rosas and the front office might be planning for the summer to the possibility that all-star snub Carl Anthony Towns could go off on any given night, it's still going to be a fun spring. Tune into Locked On Wolves daily, Monday through Friday. I'm Ben Beacon with Locked On Wolves, and we'll catch you next time.